Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 to 10. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Matt, I appreciate you reading the song we sang right before Matt read. We said, speak what is true. I don't know uh, many places in scripture I go to, like Psalm 51. I probably could add Psalm 32, Psalm 38 that speaks so clearly of some key themes and puts some things in such contrast. So in the words that Matt read just a moment ago, you have mercy and love, but you also, what a contrast with transgressions and iniquity. You have words like wash and cleanse, but then you have evil and sin. These are just powerful realities and pictures that are reminders of those realities. Words like creating and renewing. Things going on internally inside of us. So yes, speak what is true. And Psalm 51 is talking about the inward parts, my, my spiritual being, what's going on in my heart. I don't know of too many passages that give such an honest portrayal of what a guilty conscience looks like before the Lord. A guilty conscience before the God who made us and the God who loves us. Last week, we did start a series on conscience. And if you weren't here last week, I'd love for you to go back. We have it available audio video. I did ask you to do some homework. And that homework was related to noticing when your conscience Kind of when there was an alert in your conscience. And when we talked about some descriptors of conscience, I wanted you to like, let's be more aware, at least as a starting point of when our conscience is firing, but exactly what is, what is our conscience? And we just gave a, a couple descriptors and there's like, it's so much more we could say, but we said conscience is something internal, yet it feels independent. So it is something going on inside of us. So, I mean, it's your heart, it's who you are, it's your mind, it's your thoughts, it's your feelings. But yet, we use words like a voice. There was a voice in my head, or something was telling me, or I had this sense, or this consciousness. And all that is, that is like spot on for what we're feeling. This reality of something, yes, very internal, but yet it feels independent speaking to us internally. And what it speaks about is right and wrong. This is what is right. This is what is wrong, but it, there's always a push or a shove. If our conscience, certainly is, if our conscience is working right, our conscience is going to push us to do what's right. 
it's going to like remind us, yes, you're doing the right thing here, or, or it's going to alert us, wait a minute, are you sure this is the right thing? Are you, are you sure you're not doing something wrong? This week I want to lead with an assumption, which I think is fair to make, an assumption that all of us either have dealt, are dealing, or will deal regularly with a guilty conscience. And it's going to look different for everybody. But the assumption I would make is that all of us have dealt, are dealing, or will deal with a guilty conscience. At some point in time, your conscience is not going to be clear. It's going to be blocked. Your conscience isn't going to make you feel free. It's going to make you feel guilty. At some point in time, your conscience instead of being clean, is going to feel defiled, impure, unclean. Instead of having a good conscience, you'd have to recognize at times your conscience is messed up. We can talk through whether your conscience is working properly, and that's a good conversation to have, and Lord willing, we're going to have that in, in the next week or two. Whether it's oversensitive or whether... It's not sensitive enough. We can have that conversation, but, but the assumption and the thing I want to focus on today is what do you do when you have a guilty conscience, when something doesn't seem right, when it wasn't right, when it isn't right? And, and my assumption is that's going to happen for all of us if we just did a little mental inventory. You may be on a roll. You may be feeling like, I'm doing pretty good. But then you can go along and you remember a time when you weren't. You remember a time, maybe it was very recently, where you hurt someone. Maybe it was a season where you look back and you regularly mistreated them. Maybe you talk negatively about them. Your conscience seems to let you know about that. It doesn't seem to forget and I don't know how many of us struggle with, if only, if only, if only. What do, what do we do with a guilty conscience? What do we do when we know, when you know you cheated, when you knew you shouldn't but you did? What does our conscience do when we are or were addicted and you didn't think you'd get caught and maybe you didn't? Or maybe you did and you hoped there wouldn't be tough consequences or you hope even now there won't be. But living the lie piles on more and more guilt. Your conscience is constantly firing like, this isn't okay. Sometimes you, you may even wish like I could just hide and not, not have anybody see, but like, okay, so you can hide, but does that really get you away from a guilty conscience? Maybe you did something that now with hindsight seems just so awful to you. And it almost is like it has stained your life that you'll never be able to recover. It makes you feel impure, makes you feel like everything is just permanently stained. And maybe not that many people really know, or maybe they do, but you know. And 
what it does is that guilty conscience leaves you feeling isolated. It actually makes you want to be less vulnerable, less transparent, less open. When other people share, you don't. You pull back because you're still carrying the weight of something that's making you and has made you feel guilty. And now you're growing to feel more and more alone. Maybe you're disrespectful. You didn't honor someone in your life you should have. Maybe your parents or maybe you misused authority and you look back and you go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? I never should have treated people like that. And none of the reasons for why you were doing something in the moment, none of those sound good now. They all sound like terrible reasons. And, and how are you free from that? I mean, there's a, a fear and an anxiety that builds that someday that's going to come back and bite you. And there's lots of, oh, I wish I, I wish I had just, and maybe you weren't, maybe you aren't a great parent. And maybe you know, like, I wasn't there when I needed to be, and I didn't lean in, and I was way harsher than I needed to be, or I made life all about me, even my kids' lives all about me. And that's a heavy and painful burden. Maybe it's you haven't been a loyal friend or you weren't at some point in time. Someone really needed you and you did not show up. You ghosted at that time because you just couldn't, whatever reason. But now, now you recognize like that, that was awful. I should have done so much better. And maybe even that low-grade like regret and recognition that you should have done, could have done, would have done, I mean, all that maybe it's made you into this, like slowly you've degenerated into this angry person, this bitter person. Someone who says, 10 years ago, you were not that way. Five years ago, you were not. Last year, you were different, but now there's an anger and a resentment that comes out on people that don't deserve it, never did deserve it. And you can't even explain why you feel so resentful or angry or bitter. Could it be that guilty conscience? And it certainly can push us some point where we look at back at our life and we're so close to despair and we don't see a path out. That's just the taste. I mean, frankly, you and I know we could go back and forth on this for hours exploring all the things that weigh on our conscience. I'm guessing my assumptions like spot on, we're going to have, we either have dealt, are dealing, or will deal with guilt pretty regularly. So what do we do with it? What do you do about your conscience? Of course, we're going to look at the Bible, but a question I want you to ask yourself and a question I've been asking myself this week, like what what are my, what are your go-to strategies when it comes to dealing with your guilty conscience? So I'm guessing we all have them. We all feel bad about things. We all think we should do different, do better, do right, whatever. What are your go-to strategies, the things you rely on? Okay, when I have a guilty conscience, this is what I do. This is my strategy for trying to deal with it. And what, what I know is that we've got to find some healthy strategies for dealing with guilt. By healthy, I do mean like They've got to tell the truth, and we can't make stuff up, can't pretend stuff didn't happen. So if we're going to deal with it, what's your go-to strategy? Is it, is it something that is, like, actually, actually tells the truth? And is it something also that, like, has a turning point in a narrative? So the story was going this way, and, and there's actually a turning point where you could be changed, where things could be different and better, where you bring a wider perspective. Like, what, what are your strategies that you bring to bear? Does it help kind of turn things a little bit, turn the narrative. And does it also, if we're going to deal with guilt, you also have to have some sort of measure of authority or ability to say, okay, we can move on now. We can move forward. 
however you're dealing with guilt, a guilty conscience, is there any way where, like, where you're not stuck, you have something, someone who has the authority to say, you can move on, it's settled. You know, once, that's, that's the desire. Right? We're trying to get to that place where we can deal with our guilt in a healthy way. One strategy that's never a good idea is to just like sit in guilt and you just wallow in it, sit under it. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about what that feels like when you just sit with the guilty conscience. In Psalm 32, David says this, when I kept silent, Psalm 32 is all about David messing up. And when I kept silent, he said, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. God, I'm at, I mean, God's hand heavy on him. My strength was drained appropriately for this Sunday as in the summer's heat. So you spend much time out in that and you know it just drains you. And David is saying, like, did you notice that? He's not just saying you, you deal with it in your head. He's not just saying that you deal with it kind of emotionally, mentally. He's saying that even physically, and I think probably all of us have known some layer of guilt that pushed on us so physically where we would say like, this affected my body. This affected things going on there. So what are your go-to strategies to deal with this kind of guilt? Let me offer a couple that we probably all employ at some point in time. Maybe one of these is more go-to than the other for you. One would have to be like the excuse and dismiss strategy. You just excuse or dismiss. You have a guilty conscience. We all point to examples, celebrities, athletes, politicians. They know how to do the excuse and dismiss. Quick to say like, that's ah, in the past. I'm not here. I don't want to talk about it. We're, we're looking forward. You go, well, wait a minute. Have you sufficiently dealt with what you did? And just arbitrarily go, well, we're, we're not looking at the past anymore. Is that okay? It feels like it's trying to minimize damage, almost pretend something didn't happen. Passive voice, like mistakes were made without like recognizing, yeah, you did the mistake. Like you messed it up and others were hurt by it. Or certainly the kind of, this is not the person I am. As if some distance from that is like, well, yeah, it has to be. That is the person you were, even if it's not the person you'd like to be. Do you see the excuse and dismiss? And it's frustrating to have to deal with that person, but the hard reality is we are that person sometimes. We are the people who, like for no good reason, just can't say sorry, can't admit any wrong. Even when we do admit wrong, it's like, but I'll tell you what, you, and, and there's never like this full ownership of something. It's always some excuse or some dismissal. We're the people at times, never to blame. And, and the problem is the more we excuse and dismiss, sometimes the conscience keeps pressing. Like it doesn't let you off. That's the problem here. The excuse and dismiss doesn't deal honestly with the truth. And so it keeps pressing. And then actually we become even, we become even worse people because we, we don't know how to handle that pressure of like, yeah, we, we said it's not that big of a deal, but yet it, here it is again. And we begin to offload some of that pressure and stress onto other people, again, for no good reason. It seems like we could just like, dismiss it. I'm not going to think about it. But it doesn't go away. Is that a go-to strategy for you? 
Another go-to strategy that you might employ is actually on the other end of the spectrum, and that is you just go like, I oh, know I'm going to handle it. I'm not going to excuse anything. Like, I'm going to own it, I'm going to handle it, and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to do something to fix this. One of my favorite series of movies are the Bourne movies, Jason Bourne. I feel like this is the plot of so many of these where someone is coming to grips with who he is and what he's done. Like, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and yet there's a desire to atone for that, to make up for that, to deal with it. And, and you're kind of taken through this, this life with a person that's trying to relieve this guilty conscience, not, not pretending it didn't happen, but realizing things did happen and trying to make it right. There's a promise that holds. like, okay, I'm just going to atone for my sins. I'm going to be super hard on myself, which is different than like, I'm never to blame. Like, it's like, I, it's probably all about me. And so I'm going to do some ritual that maybe will even things out and Maybe we can move on, learn, grow, help others if we just, like, if I fix it. And I think I can appreciate, like, hear me well. I appreciate the desire to fix our mistakes. I think it's a good desire. What I also realize is that the reality that runs into is sometimes you can't. Sometimes you'll never be able to fix your mistake. And even if, even if you gave a lot of effort to doing that, who or what has the authority then to say, well, you've done enough, you can just move on. Like, you've sufficiently paid for it, just move on. It's okay. It's all clear. This is my challenge with even saying, like, well, maybe we'll just practice self-forgiveness and I'll just tell myself, I've done enough, I can move on. I 100% understand the impulse. But what if, what if I've hurt someone else? What if I've offended God? Can I just say, God, we're moving on now? I mean, do I really pretend to have that kind of authority over the creator that I can tell him when he's going to move. I mean, this is, where, this is where it breaks down. And so the go-to strategy, which seems like I'm going to try to fix it, which, I, listen, I was raised to, you fix it. You make up for what you need to. I, I understand that. And yet to relieve a guilty conscience, like that go-to strategy has some major, major holes, major flaws. So here we sit needing hope, needing help. Go-to strategies, like whatever you're, it may help for a little while. It may, it may provide some relief that you may need in temporarily. But as we open God's word, we're actually going to see some different ways of approaching this idea of a guilty conscience. So we're going to go back to a book we spent a lot of time at the beginning of the year on, and that was Hebrews. And because we have spent weeks and weeks and weeks in Hebrews, there's a background probably that I don't have to give in all of it. But in Hebrews, and we're not gonna, obviously can't look at the whole book, but Hebrews talks a lot about conscience, particularly guilty conscience and clean conscience. So one picture it gives in Hebrews is it, it takes us back to the time of Israel pre-Jesus, where there was this tabernacle, literally a tent of meeting. And we're brought back to the people of Israel had this tent of meeting that was in the center of the camp, and the tent had two rooms. One was a holy place that priests went in daily to offer some sort of sacrifice, acknowledge sin daily. And there was another room in that tent, and that was the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And that portion of the tent was only entered once a year annually, Day of Atonement, and only by the high priest. Do you remember this? So it's... It's a tent in the middle 
of Israel to just acknowledge there is sin and it has to be dealt with. But Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 9, and Hebrews 9 and 10 talk a good bit about conscience. We're going to look at some of those references. This is what it says about that tent that God commissioned to be built. This is what it says. There, there, this whole tent was a symbol, even in the present time, during which gifts and sacrifices are offered. But notice what those gifts and those sacrifices, all the offerings and blood sacrifices, what they could not do. It says they cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They can't make it, like they can't get that across the finish line. They can ignore, they, it can do a lot, but it cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. So that internal thing, it cannot perfect that, cannot make that right. They're just physical regulations and they only deal with food, drink, and various washings. Waiting for a time where there's a new order. A new order. Even religious observances couldn't clear the conscience. That's why, similarly in Hebrews 10, it says this. Hebrews 10 kind of picks up this theme again. It says, the law was just a shadow of the good things to come. The law that gave us the tent of meeting and gave us the sacrifices and all that. It was just a shadow, but it wasn't the reality itself. Because it could never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. And then it gives us a hypothetical because if like, okay, one time we offered the sacrifice and our conscience was clear, then it says in verse two, otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? No need to offer sacrifices. My conscience is totally clear now. But no, no. They had to offer these year after year. If, If they could just purify everybody once and for all. And if there was like, no more consciousness. The word actually is conscience. If there was no conscience of sins there. Like that all was good because we did that sacrifice 10 years ago. Like, but no, year after year it happened. And the sacrifice, there is a reminder, verse 3, of sins year after year. We could even say day after day. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What the writer is doing is he's taking you through all the go-to strategies, even if they're religious, of paying or excusing and saying none of that, none of that deals with a guilty conscience. And in contrast, it's going to point us between every other effort of clearing our conscience and then he's going to point us to, but let's look at what Jesus does, which actually leads me to another blunt question. And that is, where does Jesus fit in to you dealing with your guilty conscience? Where does Jesus fit in to you dealing with your guilty conscience? That thing that you're remembering, that thing that I'm remembering. And frankly, let's be honest, for most of the people in the world who have never met or don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus, and maybe even sometimes for those who have met Jesus who do have a personal relationship, is they think about, like, what does Jesus have to do with me feeling bad that I looked at this, I said this, I posted this? Let's be honest. Frankly, most honest answers would be not much. I mean, when does a person who lived and died 2,000 years ago have anything to do with what you feel guilty because you did this on Thursday or you talked this way a month ago or why you weren't there when you should have? I mean, 2,000 years ago is a long time. How does that deal with what you're feeling now? The guilt you may feel when you see someone or think about a certain thing. 
where most people would be like, well, the thing I said, the thing I stole, the betrayal, the rebe- like, what does Jesus really have to do with that? Sometimes our culture basically assumes Christianity is all about being good or doing nice or on the negative side, being judgmental, being a hypocrite. But what if Christianity is focused on, at least a portion of it, on answering that question? What does Jesus have to do with this? I think as we read some verses, I hope what happens is you will appreciate why we love Jesus so much. And if you're not a Christian, you'll understand why Christians are so devoted to him. Because you'll also read in Hebrews 9 after saying, All the sacrifices in the world couldn't deal with the conscience. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says this. But Christ has appeared, Jesus has appeared as a high priest of good things that have come. So he's bringing in this new order, this new era. And in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. In other words, like we're not going to go to a spot on earth where this is. This is the very presence of God. It's not of this creation. So in that kind of sanctuary, that tabernacle... Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own violent, bloody death. He enters into this most holy place. So what a contrast, what a collision. By this violent death, by him getting his life taken out, he enters into the most holy place, the very presence of God, and he obtains eternal redemption. Not his own, but ours. He obtains eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled, if those help for the purification of the flesh, how much more, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that cleanse, here's the words, like cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we could serve the living God. Cleanse our consciences. So you know what that does? That makes him a mediator. Verse 15, therefore he is the mediator because he can cleanse our conscience. He's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. A death has taken place. Yeah, Jesus' death for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Enough there to occupy your time, your thoughts, your worship for eternity. But just a few highlights of what the violent, ugly, unjust death of Jesus accomplished. And that is here we sit with a guilty conscience weighing on us. And the, the work of Jesus is something that secures our redemption but also cleanses our conscience. Does something in our hearts. We can receive promises. Jesus mediates a new covenant. It's not even just that we get like a record cleared but something happens internally with Christ. So if I'm asking the question, what does Jesus have to do? How does he deal with your guilty conscience? He's the starting point. There is no shortcut. He is the starting point. And I don't mean to be simplistic. I don't mean to give you a one-word answer of like Jesus and see, now you don't have any problems and now there's no issues and now you'll never have an issue with a guilty conscience. That's not reality. But I'm saying you you come to this area of a guilty conscience and we can do all the go-to strategies we want. And then there is what 
Jesus, God in flesh, did for us. So yes, of course, you're going to have deep regrets. You're going to have extremely difficult situations. You're going to have painful consequences. There are things that are going to be nagging you, probably you and I, for the rest of our lives. Let's be honest about those things. There's a lot to work out, and it may take years, and we may need a lot of friends, and we may need a lot of counselors. We may need a lot of techniques and a lot of strategies. And I don't mean to imply, like, your guilty conscience, there's this cookie-cutter approach, because I don't think there is. But there is a person who one day, on a cross, settled things for your conscience not to have to be burdened down by all the sins that you do, all the sins that you think about doing, all the sins that would accumulate to your record in living your life. It has to start there. There's no lasting help. There's no lasting hope anywhere else. This is about like, again, we've got to have healthy ways of dealing with our conscience. And healthy means we tell the truth. We don't lie. We can actually face the truth of who we are. We can face the truth of what we've done, the patterns of life we were engaged in and involved in. We can tell the truth about that. We don't minimize. We don't excuse. But there's a turning point in the narrative, and the turning point came when God decided to rescue us, when God decided to show love to us in that way. And when we experience that love, there's a turning point which changes For Christians, do we realize it changes the narrative of our life? We're not going to sit under guilt. But now we can use words like free and clean and clear and pure because of what Jesus has done for us. There's a voice with authority. Authority as in like, he's the one who made you and he's the one who bled for you. So he certainly is the one that can say, as he said so many times to people on this earth, when he was here in the flesh, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. So he has 100% authority to speak that over your life. You are forgiven, and it settles things, and you can move forward. Before we're done with Hebrews, because I feel like Hebrews 9 and deals so much with the objective reality of that, what he did was meant to cleanse us. The objective, the facts of that, for those who will rely and place their faith in Jesus. But there's not only the objective, but there's the subjective side of that. And that's how we, how we process it, how we feel, what we understand, what we believe. There's the subjective side of it. Do we believe it to be true? Does it go on to work on our hearts, that reality that, yes, Jesus has cleansed our conscience? That's why Hebrews 10 is so important to me. Hebrews 10, verse 19. So kind of leading up into this verse that talks about our conscience. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have boldness to enter the the tabernacle, the sanctuary, through the blood of Jesus, because he's inaugurated for us that new and living way through the curtain that was his flesh, like literally him dying. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, well, let's do this. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with, notice the words here, no throwaway words in the Bible, with our hearts sprinkled, clean, from an evil conscience, our bodies washed in water, our hearts sprinkled clean. And the experience you are meant to have and I'm meant to have is to draw near with full assurance. No flinching, no hesitation, drawing near. That passage is, that passage is meant for believers. It is addressed to brothers and sisters, but I also, if you've yet to come to faith, isn't that invitation for you too? Like, yeah, draw near. 
Draw near. This ought to be the core commitment of your life. Draw near to him in faith. Encounter Jesus Christ as the one you believe in what he's done and who he is and what he's accomplished for you. A lot of different words that churches will use, Christians will use, we'll talk about getting saved or being born again or accepting Jesus into your life or accepting what he has done as a, a payment for your sin. There's all sorts of ways we could, have, we could talk about this, but we're talking about something definitive that happens. And why on earth would you make a choice to ignore what Jesus has done to cleanse you from an evil conscience? What would be the good reasons to say, I don't think that's for me. Maybe not right now. I, don't, I just don't know that it's that important. It's not as if, again, Jesus gives you some extra additional insurance. Just in case, you know, maybe this Christianity stuff is right. You actually are, by him cleansing your conscience, you're brought into a, a relationship. Certainly there's like a legal component. You're not guilty, but you're brought into a relationship where you live your life in service to him. But again, this wasn't written to those who aren't believers. This is actually written to believers, which I would say, this is what we're meant to do, to keep drawing near, keep drawing near, keep drawing near to the one who's redeemed us. Keep drawing near in confession to him, knowing the full assurance says, I'm going to be forgiven because of what Christ has done. Sin has not escaped his notice. He, know, he, know, he saw it. He saw it all. He read your heart better than you read your heart. He knew exactly what was going on. And that's the one that says, draw near. Your conscience can be cleansed. Where does Jesus fit in when it comes to dealing with your guilty conscience? I guess two groups of people would be on my mind, especially here, in answering that question. Be the person that feels the weight of all sorts of this talk about a guilty conscience and you're, you feel crushed, but maybe, just maybe, eyes are being opened and you realize, could it be possible that I don't have to sit under the guilt of all this? Could it be that there's something happened that I could be cleansed and able to move forward? Where what Christ did, like we can, we can call sin, sin, and be able to move forward, could that be possible? It may even be scary to you, like, could that even exist? And maybe you don't even know, like, I don't even know what the first steps I would take. Well, here's the first step you take. You cry out to the Lord. You say, Lord, save me. Lord, rescue. Lord, help. Kind of right on the heels of that, I would say, talk to someone about it. I, I would love to have that conversation anytime. There may be a friend that brought you that would love to have that conversation. You say, I don't know what it means. Like, I, I don't know that I have Christianity all figured out. Completely understand that. But what, what would be the step of, what would hinder you from saying, I'm calling out in faith, Lord, rescue me. What if someone could walk with you, walk that road together? So you are on my mind. I prayed for you this week. If you're crushed by a guilty conscience and you never thought there'd be relief from it and now you're beginning to believe, I prayed you wouldn't, get halfway down the road, but you would cross a finish line of faith, resting your faith on Jesus. And there's another person that I have in mind, and that's, I think, most of us where our conscience is still pinging when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. 
Like that's what we're trying to think through. What do I do there? Hebrews holds out an idea that you could actually have full assurance of a cleansed conscience. Full assurance. It reminded me this week a few times I was in some of the state parks here and walking on familiar trails. And like I know the pathways, I know the trails and I know where they go and I know some of the markers and I thought that, that is, I think how we experience this full assurance. We start walking the trail of what Christ has done. We pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to remind us. Sometimes we have to like do some trail maintenance, like clear everything out so that we walk this path of like, I know what Christ has done and I'm going to remind myself again of what Christ has done. And I'm going to read scripture and I'm, I'm going to read passages like Psalm 51 and I'm going to echo, have mercy on me, O Lord. Blot out my transgressions. I'm going to say the same thing and I'm going to remind myself, yes, he has in what Jesus has done. I'm going to have rhythms of confession and repentance. It takes time. Sometimes there are consequences. Sometimes they don't resolve immediately. We understand that. But I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to go to people if I've wronged them. I'm going to talk to the Lord about my sin. Regular confession and repentance. Rhythms of this. I'm going to be part of community. This is walking the path. This is walking the trail. And sometimes it's like we've got to remember, I've got to walk this again. Like, it may feel like, I thought this was resolved, but all of a sudden, Curtis, you bringing up conscience has brought up all these memories, and I've got to deal with them again. I'm not trying to bring up any sort of thing, but I, I do want you to deal with your guilty conscience in a healthy way. Could you walk this path of reminding yourself in community, processing this with other believers who love you and assure you and encourage you and remind you of the truth? The cross has spoken. We sang a moment ago, I am forgiven. The king of kings has called me his own. Which is, by the way, exactly why we sing the songs we do. Here's love vast as the ocean. Jesus Christ, my living hope, you alone can rescue. Because we're just taking ourselves down this path. This is why next week, in obedience to what the Lord said, we will observe the Lord's Supper, Lord willing. We'll be reminded again, body broken for me, blood shed for me. Where does Jesus fit when it comes to dealing with your guilty conscience? My prayer is that he would be right at the center of it all. Can we ask the Lord for his help in that? Let me pray. Oh Lord, you know maybe the reminders and memories. Maybe even Satan is using this series to remind people of things they thought they had dealt with, and yet you also know how what the enemy means for evil. You know how to turn it for our good, your glory. I pray you would do more than I could imagine. I pray there would be freedom and a real reckoning with who we are in you. There would be no excusing or dismissing, no paying it off or handling it on our own, but we would look to you and you would be so pleased by just a tender conscience in this room. And you would also help us move forward with a narrative that's changed, knowing we are experienced, according to Romans 8, no condemnation. So do that, Lord, for your glory. Do that in the lives of 
my friends in this room as well as those that I've not yet met. I pray even this morning that you would open the heart of some maybe for the first time to believe. And I pray they would pursue and take steps of faith, even if they're baby steps. So Lord, you can do all this and more. We ask for you to do it in Christ's name. Amen.